0: We are in the middle of this thing called the un It's not a series. Are you tired of hearing me say that? It's the un-series. It's not a series. The, the one thing we have in common every week is we have another word that starts with un. It's all that is. Nothing else has really, we've not intentionally tried to weave this and make it um, like a, you know, one week, then the next week. But what's been cool is just taking the summer, kind of praying, letting God speak to us week to week, and just kind of seeing how, wow, these like all kind of go together, you know, have, you live like your life like that, you go through it thinking none of this makes any sense. You get like, look back a couple of years and go, wow, like, yeah, that happened and this happened. And you see how God's kind of orchestrated. That's kind of what's been happening. This is the eighth week. And so um, we just kind of look back and go, wow, like we never got together as a staff. We never talked about this. God just is kind of leading us right where he wants us to be, which is cool. So this morning we are going to be um, in, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. This morning we're going to be talking about what, we, what I just had you talk about. Times that you're a part of something that's really successful, but you know that you probably couldn't take the credit for it. I was looking at some people online just trying to find some stories, and I found a story about a guy named Will Kellogg. Um, Will Kellogg was working in an asylum. That's crazy house. If you don't, let I me mean, use layman's terms, right? He's working in the asylum, and he's working with his brother, and he's trying to prepare meals for the patients in the facility. And one day, he had some boiled wheat. And he just totally accidentally left that boiled wheat sitting out too long. And when he came back, he realized that it had kind of gotten a little hard. it's kind of weird looking, but he, he baked it anyway. When it came out of the oven, it was flaky. It was crunchy. It was became the favorite snack at the, at the asylum. Which, now, we know it is cornflakes. And Will Kellogg became the guy who started Kellogg's. Totally accidental. Can't take credit for it. Um, You've probably never heard of a guy named Percy Spencer. Has anybody heard of Percy Spencer? Okay, I'm just checking. This is right down John's alley, so if you had not heard of him, I know i got a winner here, right? Um Percy Spencer, during World War II, here was his job. He went around inspecting machines. And one day, he had to go inspect a machine called, I had to write this down because I didn't remember it, a magnetron. And what a magnetron would do is it would power the radar equipment. Okay? Oh, now, see, now John's like, I got it, man. You're a loser, but go for it anyway. So Percy is investigating. He's inspecting this magnetron. And when he gets done inspecting the magnetron, he notices something funny in his pocket. And what he notices is that the chocolate bar that was in his pocket is now melted. Kind of gets his attention. Like, why is it melted when I stand in front of this machine? And so he starts doing some research, totally accidental, didn't mean to find it, but he discovered what's in 90% of United States households, the microwave oven. All because with a candy bar in his pocket, he stood in front of a magnetron. If you're playing fantasy football, that is not Calvin Johnson. It's good. There's three other losers in the church with me. <laughs> it's great. This was one of my favorite. Um, surgeries are different today because of something that happened in the 1800s. In the 1800s, there was this thing called, I'm going to use laughing gas because I can't say what the actual gas is, but it's um, not because I can't because it's illegal, but because I'm not smart enough. So we'll go with laughing gas. But there was laughing gas, and, and they would have, you think that you're cool in this generation? Back in the 1800s, in the 1800s, They would have laughing gas parties. And they would get together and people would just like, you know, take a little hit off the laughing gas and they would start to laugh. Okay, I'm just making sure you're with me, right? Well, this this guy walks in. His name was Horace Wells. In 1844, Horace Wells goes to one of these laughing gas parties, these laughing parties, and he notices this guy just laughing his head off. But he also notices that while he's laughing his head off, he's cut his leg. And He's bleeding. So Horace Wells walks up to him. He's like, sir, are you okay? And he's like, I'm great. He's like, you're bleeding. He looks down he's like, I had no idea. So can you guess what came from that? A- anesthesia. Came from that. Surgeries today. If you've had surgery, ever had surgery, and they made you numb, you can thank a guy at a laughing gas party in 1844 who bumped his leg and cut it, and Horace Wells who notices it. The thing is, these people go down in history as like the discoverers of these But they didn't discover them, did they? Totally accidental. Becomes bigger than they ever imagined. And this morning we're going to see a story like that in the Bible in Luke chapter 5. I've taught this before, it's one of my favorite stories. As a matter of fact, this is the passage where we get one of our core values. One of our core values here is uncontainable growth. We mention it quite often. And what that says is as a church, we value uncontainable growth of the kingdom of God, we expect the kingdom to grow. And we prepare for the kingdom to grow in such a way that we could never contain it. Okay? So we get that from this passage. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. It all starts with a guy named Peter, a guy named Jesus, and they're hanging down by the lake. Um, we're just going to kind of go verse by verse. We'll take them three, three chunks of the verses. We're in chapter 5. We're going to start with verses 1 through 5. Let me just read it to you, and then we'll talk about it. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore, and then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Instant amphitheater. I was just adding that in case you're frantically looking in your Bible. Where does it say amphitheater? That's cool. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out, a, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, this is critical, verse 5, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But Because you say so, I will let down the nets. So you've got to kind of get this picture. Jesus is hanging out by the lake, right? And the crowd's pressing into him. Now, I don't know um, where you've been when you felt crowded, okay? Some of you, if you're claustrophobic right now. And because I mentioned it really right now, you know, you're like oh, I kind of wish I had some seats in between me. But for uh, for me, <clears throat> India, India would be as close as I get. Okay, and if you've been on on a trip to India, um, you get it because you step off the plane out of the airport, and there's just like people everywhere, and they're always pressing in on you. There's literally nowhere to go that you can't see and smell people, and so this this. I picture Jesus just kind of like slowly backing up, and eventually his heels are in the water, right? There's nowhere else to go. And so he turns around and he notices there's a couple boats. They're not being used. So he does what any good military man would do. He commandeers that thing. He steps in the boat. Now, the Bible, we just read it. The Bible says there's nobody in the boat. They're over there fixed, washing their nets. Jesus steps in the boat, and he knew Peter because he'd had a little run-in with Peter and his, Peter's mother-in-law, so, I'm not sure how to say this. I'm not sure if Peter liked Jesus or not because Jesus had healed Peter's mother in law. <laughs> depending on your mother in law, you know, Peter might be like, Jesus, why don't you just let her die? But you healed her. Just, I said, depending on your mother in law, I have a great mother in law, the best mother in law, the fantastic best. Absolutely in the whole world, mother-in-law. Just saying that right into the camera. Amen. Amen. So he knows Peter. He's got a history with Peter. Peter let him come into his house, heal his mother-in-law. So he turns to Peter and he says, hey, how about come over here? You're the fisherman. Hop in this boat. Push us out a little bit from the shore. So they back up a little bit and Jesus preaches and teaches to the crowd. Um, you just kind of kind of get this picture. That's important. Here's what the owners were doing before Jesus called them into the boat. They're cleaning their nets. Um, why is that important? What do you do at the end of your work day? You go home, get a little moon pie, RC Cola. If you're really Southern, we were talking about this yesterday, you get some RC Cola, dump some peanuts in it. A little sweet tea or syrup. You kick back on the couch. You grab your remote. It's a bad day when the batteries in the remote don't work. Instead of changing the batteries, you just shake it really hard, hit it, and try again. Because work is over. Right? I'll go back to work tomorrow, but right now I'm done. I'm kicking back. I'm taking it easy. These guys were finishing up their day. So at the end of every day for a fisherman, the last thing that they did was they would clean their nets, lay them out so they could dry, so that they'd be ready to use the next time. That's what these guys are doing. Now, they're not just using any nets. They're using things things called trammel nets. And trammel nets, they were invisible to fish at night. But in the daytime, so fish probably loved it when they fished in the daytime. In the daytime, the fish could see the nets so they wouldn't swim into the nets. Channel your inner Nemo here, right? Be a fish for just a second. So they're finishing up. And Jesus says, hey, look, before you're done, I know you're tired. I oh, I got all this stuff. Will you just put out a little bit? Just go out a little bit for me. So he's calling people who have already given a lot. He asked Peter to give him more. I want to make sure you get that. We didn't talk about this this morning. I love that song, You Won't Relent. God will not give up until he has all of us. You You get that? That sounds so good, especially with good music put to it. But what it really means is, he's always raising the standard. He's always saying, you've got a little bit more in you. And he turns to Peter, who has done plenty, and says, how about a little more, Peter? How about, let's, let's go back out one more time. Let's throw our nets into the water once more and just see what happens. Um, I know you don't have anything to write down on today, but if you want to write this on your hand, That's cool. Sometimes we're guilty of watering down and softening the standards. But you need to understand this. This is a Jesus that you may not know. Jesus had absolutely no problem looking at a man who was exhausted and asking for more. I don't know how that rubs you. It doesn't rub me well. It's kind of weird we're talking about the Bible rubbing us. But whatever, let's just move past that, right? It It just kind of sounds weird. It's like, don't you kind of feel like he should be a softer Jesus at this point? that he should just kind of look at Peter and go, good job, man. I just appreciate what you were able to give me, and let's just call it a day. But he looks at an exhausted fisherman and says, I think I'd like to have a little bit more. How about going back out one more time and put your nets out in the water? Not only go out and put your nets in the water, but go out in the daytime when they're going to see the nets and just put yourself in Peter's position. I know that none of us are ever bold enough to look at Jesus. If Jesus like walked in the room and showed up, like if Jesus just manifested right here, there would not be a long line here to look at Jesus and say, you're an idiot, right? You're like, oh great, Jesus, right? You're amazing. I'm even going to sing now even though I don't sing well. Peter basically is like, he's looking at Jesus going, are you, what? Are you kidding me? I'm exhausted." I've already cleaned my nets. I've got my RC Cola. I've got my Moon Pie. I'm kicked back on the couch. My best show is coming on. And I do not have a DVR. Do not ask me to go out now. I have given you enough. And we serve a Jesus who is not afraid to look that person in the eye and say, I want a little bit more. Don't kid yourself. Jesus asks a lot. He wants it all. He wants all of your possessions, not just some. And he's not blinking when he asks. Peter, go out. Go out and put your nets down. Just one more time. I, I want you to know that your most effective ministry will often be at your most exhausted moment. Anybody want to guess why? Because you won't get in the way. You'll be like, I'm so tired. At, at this point, Jesus becomes like your children because your children are really smart, aren't they? When do they keep asking you for what they want? When you're really tired. They, they see us on the couch and they know like it's nine fifteen ish They've had a long day. Dad's got some ice cream with some magic shell. He's already got his pajama pants on. They say Mountain Dew on them. And this is the perfect time for me to ask dad if I can fill in the blank. And especially if what I'm going to ask him would normally require that he gets up to inspect it. He's going to say yes because he's tired. I'm just listening. Listen, it works the same way in, in in the gospel, doesn't it? When I'm really tired, guess what I don't do? I don't have the energy to even object to Jesus. Sometimes I just find myself going, fine, all right. And I'm not even going to say that Peter was the best man here. Like, he was like, yes, Lord, at thy word. I think Peter might have been like, whatever. God, if you'll just shut up, I'll go put the nets out. It's not going to work anyway. Come on, guys, let's just humor this guy. He's the teacher. We're the fishermen. Let's just go give it a shot. How long can it take? I just want you to understand that Jesus asks a lot. He's never afraid to ask a lot. But here's what happens in verses 6 and 7. Not only does Jesus ask a lot, Jesus gives a lot. Any, I know we have one military. Any military here? Past, present, maybe future? Okay. Um, Jesus is not a drill sergeant. Jesus is not the drill sergeant whose whole purpose is to break you down. So they say things like, hey, dig a hole there. Great. Fill it in yes sir hey we need a hole here dig a hole here okay fill it in he's not giving you points I um, I love the teachers here I hate busy work I hate teachers that give busy work especially when they were my teachers now if you're my kid's teacher give them busy work whatever you know but (laughs) I'm just kidding we don't like busy work. Don't we like to see a point? There's got like a payoff, some reason why what I just did is a good thing. And Jesus is like that. I love that. He's not asking Peter just to, hey, just, just go put the nets in. And when you've done that, you know, I'll find something else for you to do. There's a reason he wanted him to go out there. And the reason is verses 6 and 7. Just look what happened. When they had done so, when, even though they were tired, even though they knew this was stupid, even though they thought it wouldn't work, but because you say so... I'll give it a shot. When they responded like that, verses 6 and 7 says this. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. This is the moment when, if the Bible was going to say it the way we read it, they would have said, oh, crap. Are you freaking kidding me? They're looking at Jesus. Dude's wearing a dress. How did he do this? don't get it. He's never fished a day in his life. We've been here all night. Nothing works. The fish can see the net. And we have more fish than we can handle. Uh, look, there's times that we struggle with whether or not God is real. I totally get it. Um, one of our core values here is undeniable. Because what, I, what we don't want to see here, we don't want to see God move in such a way that the skeptic could come in and say, yeah, but that's not really God. I mean, you... You made that happen. These are the things that I love. These kind of, there was no way that these fishermen, as we go through the story, these fishermen never got together and said, I know how he pulled that off. They were like, if we could know how he pulled that off, we would be rich. Jot down what time it is. Where exactly do we put the nets? When you were cleaning the nets, did you clean it up and down or did you go left and right? Let's figure out how this happens so we can reproduce it. Mm-mm. This was just an undeniable move of God. These fishermen started going, "Are wait a second, this is not a man. This, there's something more to, to Jesus. Do, do you see that? I mean, he asks a lot, but he gives a lot. So they signaled their partners, verse 7, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats So full that they began to sink. It was more than they could handle. It was more than they could explain. And I don't know if you're in that place right now. But when you give God everything you have. And he gives back to you more than you ever expected. The typical response is not. The American response. Well, of course you gave me more, Jesus. I'm amazing. I deserve this. I'm fantastic. Remember, I'm the guy that said yes. The typical response is what Peter found himself doing in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, this amazing catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. That's the response. Some of you here this morning we're singing worship, and you're kind of like, I don't get it. And it's it's cool. You don't have to get it. You're kind of I don't these these people sing a lot, and loud. At least it's good, right? Like why do they keep singing? Like why can't we just go yay and sit down? They just love to sing. I don't understand. And and something happened in you while we were singing. Something like you start going, wait a second, I think there's more to this than just like music and words. Like there's, they're singing to Jesus. These people are nuts about Jesus. We talked about this last week, didn't we? When King David started dancing in his underwear, (laughs) weird story, right? Look it up, 2 Samuel 6, so you know I'm not making this up. His wife said, you're undignified. And he said, I'll be more undignified than this. And what we talked about was, you were singing a song when I said that, weren't you, in your head? What we talked about was, man, people that don't understand the value of forgiveness will never understand the actions of those who do. So when we really understand, you know why I go nuts when I'm singing worship to Jesus? Because I know where I would be without him. And this will not shock you when I tell you this, but if I did not have Jesus in my life, I would be in the crazy place. I, I would wipe, jacket the whole deal. Because I know me, I know my head, I know how it works. I'd be nuts. And so when he's redeemed me from that, if I didn't have Jesus, I would be beating my wife. Ask my sister. Because I beat my sister to practice. That was uncomfortable laughter, but it's true. Right? Okay, yeah. Do you still have the scarring? No. (laughs) I hit my sister with a baseball bat one time. Not because I thought she was a baseball. And so she tells my mom, he's going to be a wife beater. I'm scared for whoever he marries. That's who I would be without Jesus. And you're telling me that I'm going to just sit here and just sing softly? No. Because I have been forgiven much and I value that. And Peter sees this great catch of fish as a fisherman and knows I had nothing to do with this. And he falls on his knees and repents to the only person who could have made that happen. And that was Jesus. You want to know why Christians go crazy sometimes for Jesus? It's because of that. It's because we've seen him move in our lives in such a way that no man could have ever done that. And we can't do anything but fall on our knees in repentance and worship. And that's what Peter did. Jesus asks a lot. He gives a lot. And in verses 8 through 11, here's what we're going to see. Jesus offers a lot. If you want to do like the typical Southern Baptist, even though we're not Baptist sermon, you want to have like three things that have the same letter, right? It's all sound brilliant. Here's what you can do. The first part of this story, Jesus is all about getting our possession. He wants possessions, our possessions. And then it's all about Jesus giving us provision. And right here, this is all about Jesus giving us a purpose. He wasn't just after helping Peter catch a lot of fish. You get that, right? He's trying to prove some kind of point. And here's what he says. Verses 8 through 11. Jesus, we already said, Simon Peter falls at his feet. He says, go away from me, Lord. I'm I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Now, when's the last time fishermen were astonished? I don't know if you watched Dangerous Catch. I mean, The Deadliest Catch. I love that show. I love it. Especially when they get, like, people for the first time that don't know what they're doing. They get tangled up in the nets. and almost die. It makes for really good television. I know it's terrible for me to like it, but I do. But, like, when when those guys were astonished, like, they pull up the crate and it's, like, full. I mean, they at least did what it took to catch that fish, that, that catch. These guys, there was no way it should have worked. And so, when it says that fishermen are astonished at what just happened, when's the last time you were astonished at what you do? When somebody came in that, this would be... It's a terrible example, but I mean, Todd's a truck driver. This would be like Sydney getting behind the wheel of his rig and driving it better than he does, and the boss seeing it and promoting her. And Todd would be like, Todd doesn't cuss. You know, cussing for Todd's like saying Tar Heel, right? <laughs> He'd be cussing Nino. Are you kidding me? She's a little girl. A girl. And she drove that truck better than me? She backed up with the mirrors and everything? With the whole beep, beep, beep thing? What? Man, it's when we see, they see Jesus had no business knowing how to fish better than they did. Except for one small fact. He's Lord of all creation. It's almost like He told Peter, go out and put the nets in, the water. And while they were turning their backs to go out, Jesus was like getting out of this walkie-talkie. All right, fish, jump up in three, two, one, now. He's Lord over all of it. He could do that in your life. You know that, right? He could do it in our church. This is the God that we serve. He commands it all. He asks a lot. But he gives a lot. And then when all that's said and done and we've seen who he really is, we fall on our face in front of him. We repent. He doesn't go, great, that's all that I really wanted was for you to bow to me. Thank you so much. Lesson over. Let's go eat some of that fish you caught. He offers them a purpose. He says to them, you know what? It's cool how that happened, isn't it? But I'm not really after you being better fishermen. I'm after you fishing for men. I want to call you to something greater than dropping your nets at the wrong time of the day and seeing me do something miraculous. I want to give you another uncontainable catch. I want to give you an uncontainable catch of men. Because I came, Luke 19, 10, to seek and to save the lost. And I want you to fish with me. And I want to give you a greater purpose than what you have right now. That's what Jesus does in verses 8 through 11. Just think about these statements. You don't have to like them. Just think about them. Do you know why so many of us can live so easily without God? Everybody say what? Why? I said what? (laughs) Totally messed y'all up. Here's why. Because we've never allowed Him to work just beyond our reach. Because we do what we can do, and that's about as far as we go. That's why, honestly, the American Church doesn't really even need Jesus to show up. Just get somebody who plays guitar, get somebody who's willing to stand up in front of a bunch of people and talk and maybe not sweat too much. Have a good system in place. God kind of never needs to show up. It's just like a business. I need God to show up. I'm not that good. The band's that good, but I'm not that good. We need God to show up. We need God to do something that we can't do. We need God to come through in an uncontainable way. And that's what the promise is here. I don't want to do what I can do, I don't want to call the shots, I don't want to play it safe, I don't want to live a life that can be explained. When do we do what seems undignified and unnecessary? When we do those things, here's what happens. When we just are obedient, we find ourselves looking at a catch that we know was beyond our reach. And that's what's happening here with Peter. His friends, they realized there was no way we could have ever made this happen. They were, um, in a sense, they were Will Kellogg's in a boat full of cornflakes. Right? How did this happen? In spite of me, Jesus pulled this off. The uncontainable catch revealed that for all their knowledge, the only thing Jesus really needed from them was obedience. And I I really want you to get this, okay? Um, I'm going to give you a big idea in just a minute. God wants our obedience. He wanted their obedience. He wanted it when they were tired. He wanted it when they had already allowed Jesus to use their stuff. He wanted it when they had done the best that they possibly could. He still wanted obedience, It was an unexplainable obedience. So here's here's the big idea, and I'm going to give to you like I wrote it, and I'm going to give you what God gave me right here while we were singing. Here's the big idea today. Catching the uncontainable requires obedience that's unexplainable. Catching the uncontainable requires an obedience that's unexplainable. Now, we were sitting here singing that song, You Won't Relent, and I kept thinking about that word obedience. Do you like the word obedience? I'm not not a big fan. If I'm honest, you know, like, I don't like it. It kind of brings out my inner rebel. You know, like, you say, do that, and I'm like, whatever, I'm going to do this, right? But here's what I was thinking about while we were singing. See if this makes more sense to you. An uncontainable catch follows unconditional surrender. Because that's really what this is about. An uncontainable catch follows unconditional... Conditional surrender. This is about looking at Jesus like Peter did and saying, I think I know more than you do right now. I really do. I think i got a better handle on my life than you do. You seem to be a little bit busy with that Iraq thing. I think I might know what I'm doing better than you. But at your word, I'm going to surrender anyway. And I'm going to surrender unconditionally. I'm going to put the nets back out in the deep. In the daylight, where the fish can see them, I get it. I'm going to do all that. It's not going to make any sense, but I'm I'm not going to put conditions on it. I'm just going to surrender, and that's going to lead me to obey. And that's what led to an uncontainable catch. So Jesus calls them to go catch men. He offers them a life of purpose. And it changed them so much that they left everything behind. What would you leave everything behind for? Dinner with the president? No. No matter how you voted, you're not leaving everything behind for that. What would you leave everything behind for? What would so move you right now in this moment that you would ditch everything you have for that one thing? For Peter, it was Jesus. For Peter and his partners and his unnamed help, it was Jesus. They left it all behind. They never touched a boat to fish after that day. Man, if you're leaving what you know to go to what you don't, there better be something really good on the other side. And for these guys, it was Jesus. He offered them the same life of purpose that he had. John 20, 21 says this, Jesus saying to his disciples, As the Father sent me, so am I sending you. So let me, let's, let's wrap this up. we got to get out of here. What does this mean for you? What does it mean for our church? Um, I asked God this last week. I was running one day. Um, I don't know. We have a lot of runners in the, in the room. When I run, I talk to God a lot because I'm pretty sure I'll die at any moment and I want to be on good terms with God when I die. So when I'm running, I'm like, <laughs> I love you, Jesus. You know, whatever. Just make, just covering the bases, right? But I'm, I'm running last week and and I'm kind of praying about the unseries and kind of, God, where are we going? And, you know, he he's brings me to this passage, and I'm like, oh, I love that story, God. I just love it. I, I've preached it at the gathering before. It's like on the back of the seats, I don't know, at our core card. It's got uncontainable growth. And, God, that came from this story, and I'm so glad you include that in the Bible. And I love that story. And he's like, I know you do, Paul. I know you love that story. He said, but here's what you do with that story. And I said, what? Tell me. Tell me. What do I do with that story? He says, you make yourself the hero of that story. And that got my attention. It's like, um, now, listen, I need to make this clear. I'm not hearing God speak, right? Like, I'm not, you know, sometimes I do talk to myself while I run, but I'm not hearing God. I'm just talking with God in, in my spirit, right? And I was like, I make myself the hero of the story. What are you talking about? That doesn't sound good, does it? He says, you read this story. Every time you read the story, you're Peter, every single time. You're the guy who fishes. You're the guy who's done the best you can. You're the guy who doesn't really want to do it, but at your word, Lord, I'll go. And then you're the guy at the end going, cha-ching, look what we caught. He said, you, you make yourself the hero of that story all the time. He said, but you know what? You know what's this, the part of the story that you need to understand? And I was like, what? He said, all the partners, all the partners right there that are not named, all the people who said with Peter, yeah, I'll go back out. The, the other boat that was ready as soon as Peter signaled to them, we need your help, come. He said, man, they, they were ready. They were in position to help when the uncontainable catch came. And he says, Paul, would you be willing to be that person? Would you be willing to be unnamed in order to be a part of the uncontainable? That actually made me stop running for a second. I was happy about that. Took a couple deep breaths. I said, God, I'd like to think that I would be. Well, let me ask you, individually and as a church, are we willing, are we willing to be unnamed in order to be a part of something so big, so uncontainable, that only Jesus could receive the glory for it? I'd like to say that we are. I'd like to say that we are. So here's what I felt like God told us to do. God said, you know what? Here's how this applies to our church. It's time to put another boat in the water. Well, I don't know if we can do that, God. We're really tired. So is Peter. I don't know, God. It doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, because, like, you know, it's the daytime and, like, the the fish are going to see the net. At your word. That's your word. I want you to throw that image up we have at the end of this. Here's what we're going to do. I feel like God's asking us to put another boat in the water. And so we're going to do that on September the 7th. We're going to put another boat in the water. Now, listen, there's no way in the world for me to answer any and all questions today. Okay? But we know this to be true. There are, this comes down to two numbers. Last week we talked about an audience of one. And who is that? Jesus. There's one other number that while we're going to do, we're going to do two, two services, let me tell you the two reasons, two numbers. Number one is God. We have an audience of one. Here's the bottom line. Um, we've talked a lot about this as leaders. We've asked a lot of questions. We've had people ask us hard questions. We've come to this conclusion. We can ask questions all day long and try to answer them, but you know what matters? What matters is what Peter said. At your word, yes. Stick a boat out in the water. And there's one other number: obedience on our part, but options for a number as big as fifteen thousand people. Fifteen thousand people in Albemarle. Now, look at the chairs next to you. Look at them. Well, I know it's the middle of the summertime, so like in about a month and a half, this section will be full of Pfeiffer students. Every we talked about this two weeks ago. Every chair represents. What? A soul. Every chair next to you represents a soul. And we want to just put an empty boat back out into the, into the lake of Albemarle. And just say to God, hey God, we don't know how you're going to do it, but we believe this. If we put a boat out in the water and there's more space, what, people that went to India with me, what did we learn in India? When there's an empty space, God will fill it. We believe if we put a boat out in the water, you'll fill it. And so we're going to do that. Now, let me tell you how, God, how cool God is. Um, right now, it is 1120. Right now, in Kid City, okay? Right now in Kid City, Miss Bridget's telling the kids the same thing. And here's how God works. When we're having our meeting with all the leadership, and we're just kind of talking through, you know, what do we need, right? If we're going to do this, what do we need? By the way, there's, when you go home today, you'll go on our website, and there's a page already set up with a lot of questions that you're already asking with tons of answers. I don't want to waste your time with that today. Let me just give you this one quick story. We're having this this discussion. What are we going to need if we do this? And right away we come to the kids, Kid City. Holy cow. We joke about how a third of our church leaves after worship and goes down there. But a third of our church really is in Kid City right now. Well, they're going to do two services. I mean, they'll do the same thing. They'll be Kid City at 9, they'll be Kid City at 11, just like we have now at 10. But what they really need is a lot of you are volunteers, a lot of you work, you come in here, you serve on Sundays, and so what are we going to do with your kids? Are they going to go to Kid City two times? Here's the same message, and Miss Bridges like, I mean, I'm fun, but I'm not that fun, right? So what we really need is we need, like, more space. We need a, we need a space to have, like, this fun little bonus room where kids of volunteers can go and they can kind of play during the second service and just chill and not have to hear the same message again which will be really cool because your kids will be like please volunteer so that we can play in the bonus room right so we're sitting around the table and John asked the question so like is that a deal breaker if we don't have that space and Bridget's kind of like yeah kind of you know we've been praying for God to give us this whole block anyway but where are we going to go as God is my witness yesterday we're sitting at Zaxby's Wendy and I are and um this is a, I'm sorry, I just get excited. It's a cool story. We're sitting at Zaxby's, and she's asking me, like, how do you feel about tomorrow? And I'm like, I'm, I, I, I could throw up in my mouth, if I'm honest. Like, because I feel like this, I know this is God. It just feels huge, and it feels like, you ever just run towards a cliff, like you're just going to jump over the cliff, and God help us, what's going to happen? That's how it feels, right? But I know he said, go. And I said, the one thing that really scares me is this bonus room thing. Where are we going to do that? And as i the words are coming out of my mouth, my phone rings, and I look at it, and it's Melissa Milano. And I answered the phone, and here's what Melissa says. Well, Wendy answered it because I was in the middle of chewing food. She hands me the phone, and I said, hey, what's going on? And Melissa says this. Pastor Paul, she's like a mile a minute. You know Melissa anyway. That's just normal, but this was even more. You're not going to believe what just happened. You're not going to believe what just happened. I said, "What? It- whoa, slow down. What are you talking about? She said, when we got done with our meeting, I went down to Kid City to say hey to Bridget's mom. And when I walked down there, the people that were next to Kid City um, they have a photography place. They walked up and, and the, the husband said, hey, I'm just seeing if you guys need some couches or chairs or whatever. And she's like, um, I don't know, maybe, why? And he says, oh, well, we're leaving. Like, when you say you're leaving, you mean like vacation? He goes, no, we're closing the shop. We're going to be out in the middle of, of August. What? <laughs> Seriously? So you know, John calls the honor. I mean, it's not ours yet, but here's what we're going to do in just a minute, because right now in Kid City, I don't know if how many of you were in the coffee shop when we put our hands on this wall and prayed that God would give us this building. But right now in Kid City, your children are putting their hands on that wall, and they're praying that God would give us that building. And so we're going to So we're going to, we're going to pray with them. We're going to agree with them. Let me answer the one obvious objection. I really want you to understand this. Um, the, the question why, right? I was telling our, I told um, our staff this past week, I said, you wait, this Sunday will be the least attended service of the entire summer, which it's not. This is a great crowd for the summer, by the way, um, because it's so hard in the summer to say to people, hey, we're going to do a second service because here's what happens. In our culture especially because I'm a pastor and I talk to pastors all the time, the only time you start a second service is if you're busting out at the seams. But that's not what this is about. This is not about numbers. It's about two numbers. It's about obeying one and giving options to 15,000. It's as simple as that. It's not about numbers. This is about our church saying we want to give as many people the space that they need to come near God. Here's the second thing it's going to allow us to do. Some of you um, who will go unnamed, just looking around the room, it gives you a chance to serve. Because we ask you to serve all the time, and you don't want to. And you know why? Because you don't want to miss the service. And now you don't have to. You can serve at one and worship at one. How cool is that? You don't have to miss anything anymore. It gives you the chance to step up and serve. We were looking um, yesterday of, How many people do we need to serve on a Sunday for a service? In order that we can really put our best foot forward for guests who might not know Jesus. It's like 25 to 40 people when it's all said and done. 25 to 40. That doesn't count community group leaders. I know Carolyn needs about 100 of those. Am I right? Yeah. But just 25 to 40 volunteers. And I looked at our team. I said, you know, what's, what's funny is we already have them. It's you. You're already here. And now you have the opportunity to step up and serve. Some of you, um, you don't want to ever speak to anybody. You just want to smile and wave. You're the penguins, right, from Madagascar. Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. There's a place for you. There's a place. For, you know, when we get done today, there's Jay. Hey, Jay. Jay's going to have a sheet right there where he is, and he's going to, it's our first impressions team. If you don't ever want to say hey to anybody, you just want to say a word, you know, we're going to have a place for you, and here's where your place is going to be, in the next county. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. You're going to be the person that gets to stand on the sidewalks around this block. You're going to be the person that gets to wave at people as they're driving by. You get to be a little crazy, make them feel good about coming. When they're walking down the sidewalk, you just get to greet them as they're coming in here. We don't have those yet, but we will because you're going to be the one holding the sign. We need people in here to greet. We need people to smile. We need people that are actually friendly and like people. If you don't like people, you don't get to do this. But if you like people, we need people that actually want to talk to People. Man, Kelly does a great job every week setting up hospitality stuff. Some of you are also good at setting up hospitality stuff. It's time for you to start setting up hospitality stuff. There's a place for you. And today is the day that I'm calling you as your pastor to step up. Because there's a whole city of people that need Jesus. And if there was any doubt about whether or not God's telling us now to do it, for me at least, That phone call alleviated it all because that building wasn't available one week ago when we said that that was a game changer, but it is today. The day before I take the risk to tell you that I think this is what God said to do, it comes available. No doubt in my mind at all now. So what will God do on September the 7th when we come in here at 9 and 11? He's going to fill a boat. He's going to fill a boat of uncontainable with an uncontainable catch. Is he going to fill it because I'm a great preacher? Nope. As a matter of fact, I felt like God told me this. Is it possible that some other preacher is going to be really good and he's going to preach something and revival is going to come in our area because of another church? And they're going to call us and say, hey, you got a boat. We need your help. I believe now's the time we position our church for that. No other reason. Not for our glory at all. Because when it's all said and done, and I can guarantee you this, when we start this on September the 7th, the first time that we walk out of here on a Sunday and God has filled this boat twice, I will not be the guy signing up to do a seminar on church growth. I will be the guy falling at Jesus' feet saying, Lord, depart from me because I am a sinful man. But I so want to see God do an undeniable work in this place. And that only happens if we will obey Him unexplainably. I'm calling you as a church to obey Him unexplainably. To simply say to Jesus, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it. Why don't you close your eyes? Before we pray... Let me just set you at ease, okay? There are a lot of leaders that are a lot better at stuff like this. They, um, they know how to pound the pulpit, work people up into a frenzy. I'm not that guy. Please don't ask me to be. But I'm also not the guy that's going to make you feel bad for not liking this idea right away if you don't because we're just people right we're just people and the way people are we get really comfortable we we like it the way we like it it's all good but here's what I've noticed at the gathering because I talk to people that come and visit and they'll say man it's like family there it's so it's so welcoming it's so relaxing. It's so real. I could just be myself at the gathering. Thank you for letting me be myself. And, and I've thought about that. And here's what I've realized. Sometimes when you don't have a family and you're around a family, don't you want to live with that family? We need more families that will just simply say, move in with us. We want you to be a part of our family. You don't have to agree with us. You don't even have to like Jesus. We just like you and we want to give you the space to come and be a part of that. Here's what we know. We know that in September, people will be back from the beach, unless you've moved there. We know that for students will be back in school. This week, Pfeiffer called and asked if our worship team and me would come and lead a service on August the 17th for returning students and incoming freshmen. I said, why are you asking us to do that? They said, well, we just feel like it'd be good to introduce our students to options on Sunday for church, and you're the one we want. Okay, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. I'm not good enough for this. So in September, we need a bigger boat, and we don't want to go have a big, huge building right now. It's not good for us, but this is a perfect size, just times two. Um, think about math, that'll make you pray harder, then we'll close. I, I really want you, you'll see this image a lot, uh, I know this a logo from the X-Men, I really appreciate people spending millions of dollars to give us this logo for our service but I want you to get this. We're not, we don't want to just add another service time. I don't want to do addition. We want to multiply. So I don't want you to think we have two times. I want you to think times two. It's everything that we love about the gathering, times two. When I preached this the first time, we did a little addition multiplication test um, just to show you that if you want to add numbers quickly, you add. You just 1 plus 1 and 2 plus 2 and then you know, 4 plus 4. You just keep doing that. If you just add like that, you'll have a couple hundred thousand like that. If you multiply the way Jesus did, you have 12 men. You spend three years with them, and then those 12 go get 12 more. And then they spend three years with them, and those those go get more. If you do it like that, you start multiplying like that, 12 times 12, and then 144 times 144. You see how fast that goes? It takes longer to get there, but in year 15, you're somewhere around 6 million. We want to multiply. In order for us to do that, we've got to have your help. We, we, we've got to have you. We've got to have you on your knees in front of Jesus saying, make me a fisher of men. I don't want to just sit in the boat. I want to lead a boat. I want to be a part of filling a boat. I want to be a fisher of men. And, and just as we close this morning, we're going to pray with the kids over this building We're going to ask God to give that to us. We've been asking God to give us the whole block, and I don't know how it's going to work out because the bank seems like they're pretty set on that spot. We'll let them have it for a while. It's not so we can make a great name for ourselves. I really believe that God's challenging us to be unnamed. Just to say, all right, we'll be the guy, we'll be the silent partner that just puts a boat out in the water and trusts you. Lord, I just, um, this morning before we leave, we just want to take these plans and give them to you. I believe that you've given them to us, God. But this is not about us having a fantastic strategy. This is not about us being slick marketers and great salesmen. This is just about you giving us a vision, God. And and as I look back on this unseries, I'm thinking about all the words that we've talked about. We are unsatisfied We do not want to sit here and say we have arrived and now that we're secure in this ark, we're shutting the doors on everybody else. We don't want to be satisfied, God. I I want to be undignified. I want to be King David. I want to so value the forgiveness that you've given to me that I would go to any length, God, to offer that forgiveness to somebody else. I I think about Paul who says, man, I I will become all things to all men so that by all possible means, some might be saved. I just pray over our church, God, over this house, that that would be our DNA, that we would be the undignified church because we so value the forgiveness that you've given us. And God, I pray this morning for the uncontainable. God, not so that our names would be great, And you can raise up somebody else that can be the hero of the story, God. I just want to be a part of it. I just want to be a part. And so, God, we ask that as we do what Peter did. And for many of us right now, I'm the pastor. I know where we are. I know the stuff we're going through, God. We are slap worn out. Life is pounding us. And I'm so thankful that even though you ask us a lot, you offer a lot you give us a lot. And so, Lord, even though we may have fished all night long, God, just that unexplainable obedience that says yes, just because you said it, God, yes. And, and my prayer, God, is that between now and September the 7th, man, you would just begin to blow us up on the inside. That this this anticipation, this expectation of you doing something great, of you doing something so great that we know that we could never take credit for, God, that that would just begin to build. We trust you, God, with this house. God, we pray for this building next to Kid City. Thank you for being the God that you are. Thank you for interrupting my lunch at Zaxby's just to give me another shot of confidence that this is where you're leading us, God. And we just pray, we pray first for the, the business that's leaving. We pray that you would bless the owners of that business, that this would be a good thing for them in their lives. We pray for the owner, God, that... He would see in the way that this is happening, the way that you are taking care of him, that he won't sit with an empty building because you've provided for him. God, we pray that it would just, you give us more space, God, for more people. You are never satisfied. You always want more souls. You will not relent, God, until you have it all. And on a selfish note, those of us that are sitting here right now, we want to thank you, God, that two and a half years ago, a group of us pushed away from the shore and launched a boat with no guarantee of a catch. And today, here we sit. All because of your grace. And we want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to do that again for people who two years from now will say they'll sit in a boat that was launched from the shore with no guarantee of a catch, just at your word, Lord, at your word. In your name, Jesus. Amen.